Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. We are free after three episodes of lockdown. We're out into the landscapes that we love so much and we're celebrating in slightly odd form by leaving the county. And I will let author, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards, explain exactly why. (laughs) Well, it's lovely to be with you, David, and I'm sure our listeners will be pleased to hear that we're actually fulfilling our mission of being outside. We've actually transgressed into Yorkshire. We are looking at Lady Anne's Way. We're the author of the original guidebook to the route, who, inspired by, um, by the lady herself, Lady Anne Clifford, created this journey and uh, will be our inspired companion on this lovely walk. We will talk a lot more about the route itself, won't we, with Sheila, but briefly, Lady Anne Clifford is one of the great matriarchs of Cumbrian life. Indeed. Born in the latter part of the 1500s, she lasted well into her 80s, so throughout the 1600s she was a significant figure. And later on in her life, she was able to fulfil her dream of inheriting this great estate of the families and made a big impression. It makes a great story. Uh, We have two ladies in this story, of course, because we've got Sheila Gordon, who had the original idea of creating this journey. Sounds fabulous. Let's go and meet Sheila Gordon. Well, I'm right at the head of Wentzlidale, beside the sparkling waters of the River Yure, quite close to Yordale House, near Garsdale Head. And it's a wonderful valley. But I'm in the company of a genuine Yorkshire lass. (laughs) You can hear the chuckle. Safe social distancing from. I'm with Sheila Gordon, the uh, originator uh, of the Lady Anne's Way. Sheila, it's great to be with you. And to be with you, Mark. Good morning. This year is a very special year. Absolutely, very, very special. This is the 25th anniversary of the starting up of Lady Anne's Way. So it really is our silver wedding anniversary, if you like to call it that. Fabulous. <laughs> now, this is your dream, this idea. And Lady Anne Clifford was quite a figure of her time. But she resonates to this day. But you decided to create a journey from where to where? That's right. It goes from Skipton to Penrith, and it's 100 miles. And the route really was inspired by Lady Anne and the castles, of course. Her family owned vast tracts of land right across Yorkshire and what was the old Westmoreland. Um, They reckon about 90,000 acres of land that the, the estate covered, which is a vast, vast area. Very, very wealthy northern family. So the route links all the castles together and we start off in Wharfdale, we go over State Pass into Wensleydale and from there, just over the hill there, we come over here and we go up onto the highway which is what we're going to get to today and then we carry on into beautiful Malastang and then along the Eden Valley. So a delightful walk. 
absolutely fabulous and uh, today we're doing a portion of it making a loop out of it but we're getting onto the highway which is a fabulous promenade above the valley mm. and we reach as far as uh, Helgill which was the Yorkshire Cumbria border. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about Lady Anne, certainly, during the course of this expedition. But just a reminder of yourself. I believe you're a great walker. You come from Giggleswick, is this, near Settle? That's right, yes. I was born in York, actually, but I live now in Giggleswick, yes, in the Yorkshire Dales. And you've done a lot of walking in your life I with have, your husband, Frank. My husband Frank. and I, we've done a lot. We've done a lot of... We were members of the Long Distance Walkers Association, did a lot of long distance paths as well, backpacked them. Um, the longest one we did was Land's End to John O'Groats, which I think we might talk about later on. <laughs> well, you, you share something with uh, the man holding the mic, because he know. truly <laughs> has done it as well. Um, my son's done it on a bicycle, and I just dream about it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're, um, we're, by the year, we better head up towards the highway. Solid gate. Lady Anne Clifford, what period in history are we talking about here? Uh, I think we're talking about the 17th century, that's 1600s. Right. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah, she was born in 1590, so yes. yes. Right, so that, that's her early 17th century. She was part of a landowning dynasty. Yes. She was the daughter of uh, George Clifford, 3rd Earl of Cumberland, and her Mother was Lady Margaret Russell, and as you rightly said, they owned these vast tracts of land right across the north of England. Um, but her father was a bit of a, well, I shall say how he was described. He was described in Whittaker's History of Craven as an accomplished courtier, a skillful navigator, an intrepid commander, but an indifferent husband and a negligent parent. Oh, oh dear, dear, dear me. She was made of steel herself. She coped Absolutely. with it, seemingly. She, that's right. So when he died in 1605, she should have inherited the lands, but under the terms of his will, it all went to her uncle Francis Clifford and then subsequently to his son. And Lady Margaret Russell, of course, Lady Anne's mother, was very, very angry about this. And she started court proceedings to try and reclaim those lands because there'd been an entail from Edward II that decreed that the Clifford lands should go to the last in line, either male or female. Right. Which is unusual because we're in this period, aren't we, where women really didn't count. Everything mm -hmm. went to the sun, usually. Right. This begs the question, why did uh, her father not bequeath the land to her? That's a very good point, and um, we don't actually know. We can only uh, um, conjecture about this, but she was the only one left. She did have two brothers, but they both died, sadly, in infancy. So there was just Lady Anne left. Maybe he thought that as a woman, you know, she wouldn't be capable of looking after all these vast estates on her own. And that a man needed to do it. That's all I can think of, really. I, I, I suppose there was always the fear that the woman would go and marry somebody and, and have That's a good point. Issue, that's issues. One. Yes, exactly. It could go out of the family, couldn't it? That's it. That's, yes. the, that's the downside of a woman. But Ooh. as they saw at that time, at that time... But we don't see it now, do we? No, no. And what do we see from here? Because we'll go back to Lady Anne in a minute, but we're in a wonderful well, setting here. Fabulous. You know, there was a heron just down there, and the, the lapwing and the curlew. It's a great open landscape, but just so full of life. So let's show how full of life we are and <laughs> get up to the highway. Right, onward.
Great spot up here, isn't it, Sheila? Look, I, I can look across the valley to Garsdale Station. There's a farm with sitting like an island in the moorland there where the silage has been taken off three fields, pale against the dark moorland with Bowfell beyond. And over to our right, or if you're looking up the valley to the left, is Wild Boar Fell and Swarth Fell, the Black Hill. And you can see right way back over to the north towards the Howgills. Anyway, we've got to get back on target, which is Lady Anne. And the issue she had at a critical time, she took on the issue of losing the lands. That's right, she did. But just prior to that, um, she lived a lot of the time, of course, uh, in, down in London, in the south of England particularly, even though she was born at Skipton Castle. But her mother remained up here most of the time, overseeing the, uh, the, the lands that they owned. And her father was down at the court of Queen Elizabeth uh, and subsequently the king after that. But Lady Anne herself was married twice. The first time to Richard III, Earl of Dorset, and he was reputedly a socialite, a sportsman and a spendthrift. And he was really angry with the fact that she was spending all this money on the court cases because when Lady Anne's mother died, she took over the court case and carried on trying to regain her inheritance because that was money he couldn't spend, so he was not happy about no. that. But she outlived him. He died in 1624. Six years later, she married again, and nobody, none of her friends, could understand why on earth she married this particular guy. This was Philip, fourth Earl of Pembroke, and he was violent and cruel. But he did have a passion for dogs and horses, so perhaps we can excuse him a little bit there. They were married 20 years, and they only spent five years of that marriage together. He dismissed her from one of his properties at one point. It was just a very stormy marriage. And again, he resented her, spending all his time and money trying to regain her inheritance. She was a fancy lady. Very, very much and so. One, a model for the future as well as the past. Yes. So. Uh, where did she get to with this process? Well, she never actually legally managed to win her court case, but she did regain her lands in 1643 simply because she outlived them. She outlived her uncle, Francis, who inherited, and his son subsequently, he died as well. And so, 1643, finally at last, she regains her inheritance. It was death that did it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, four, she's seen four of them all, hasn't she? And she still couldn't come up north because we're right in the middle of a civil war now, of course, so she had to wait until 1649 before she could actually come back up north and reclaim her inheritance. From the moment she took on this case to the point of fruition, that was quite a period. It was nearly 40 years, was it? Yes, yes, almost, yes, a and, very long time. And there was a lot of sadness in her life at the time. Yes. She'd lost her, her youngsters, her kids, so she was driven by something. What do you feel drove her to be so single-minded? I don't know, I think family meant so much to her. Presumably it was part of her upbringing, you know. She was very much into heraldry uh, in her, her tomb at um, Appleby, Church of St Lawrence there. That is just covered in armorial shields. So obviously all of this was very important to her and uh, it, it obviously drove her on. I mean, so much so that, it, as you say, she fought with two husbands over her inheritance, but not only that, she fought the king. It went to the king. This, oh, yeah. Queen Elizabeth died, of course, at this time, and the court case went to the king, and he took her to one side and tried to persuade her, and she still wouldn't bow down. And what? Yes, I, I'm not quite sure. Maybe it was the northern grit. And she really, really loved it here. That must have been a driving force for her to fight the way she did. Yes. Uh, and uh, she had a great relationship with her mother, 
mother, I, I think that's a, that's very much factor. so. Very much so. Yes, uh, she was very close to mother. Yes, as I say, her father was not very good as, as a parent anyway. So she associated very much with her mother. She died in 1616, mm-hmm. and Lady Anne had a pillar erected to her beside the A66, actually, just near Penrith. Yeah, it's visible when you drive along the road. Yeah, by Lama Karma Cafe. I remember that's it very it, well. Lama Karma's. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> and uh, there's this lovely tall pillar, and there are four armorial shields around it, and there's a little stone tablet at the side and Lady Anne left an annuity to the poor to be paid and that ceremony is still reenacted today. Fascinating isn't it? I've seen that little enclosure with the stone on it with coins on it. Yes. Um, we haven't quite made the highway. Not quite. We'll head up there now. Yes. Where we come up the Pennine Bridle Way, which has linked us up with the Pennine journey as well. But we've reached the highway. The highway, yes. Magic. Historically, it was safer to be up here, and people have travelled along this particular path for, for eons. Romans, perhaps before them. We think that it was a prehistoric routeway, this. And then, of course, the Romans came along here. Then in the 18th century, we get all the drovers mm. and the pack horsemen on the way over from Hawes over into Malastang and the Eden Valley. Mm-hmm. So it was a major thoroughfare. And the valley bottoms, of course, you didn't go down there because, as, as we know, it's very, very boggy in the bottom of there. Um, there could have been wild boar and all sorts down there. So mm. this was the way to travel. You can't believe it now, of course, but it was. And the highway itself... Now, it comes from Cotterdale End, and it goes to where, Sheila? Yes, it goes to Pendragon Castle, actually. Mm. One of Lady Anne's, of course, one of her castles. And probably that castle was there because of the journey and people coming through, monitoring it. Yes, yes. If you go down the south of England, you get ridgeways. This is akin to a ridgeway. It's a safe route that avoided settlements and gave majestic views. And as I can see it today, I'm looking... Straight ahead, I'm now looking towards Wild Boar Fell and Swarth Fell and Bow Fell. And I now can see uh, Crag Hill and Wernside uh, and the viaduct down there above, ahead of Garsdale and the Garsdale Station and so on. Uh, and the Curlew have been an absolute joy, a rhapsody to our journey so far. Well, now we'll turn our minds to the highway. We're we'll head north with uh, Wild Boar Fell luring us on and you can just see the rooftops or the ruined rooftops of High Dyke and the solitary tree there. Well, we've rolled up at High Dyke, and now we were here last year, and uh, a good deal of that building was still standing. Yes, that's right. And I, I was very captured by the architecture of it. Very raw, very distinctive, great flags for roofing. It's a substantial little setting, homestead, or you might yes, say. Yes, it is, yes. Uh, with enclosures, walled enclosures there. Now, I got a feeling that this had some purpose beyond being a farm. Well, that's right, um, but there is some dispute about that. But I gather that it, it was the possible site of an inn, which was obviously on this particular long stretch of the highway, very important for all the travellers coming through, particularly the pack horsemen, of course, and they would stay here, put the horses in that little enclosure over there for the night, 
lock up, they always locked up the packs that were on the pack ponies, and then they would go in there and spend the evening in the inn. Right. So it's potentially an inn point. Yes. There's one or two farmsteads, ruined farmsteads on this high section. But it was part of Lady Anne's journey as well. Of course, she came this way very definitely, yes, when she was en route between her castles. So let's get back to the story here about Lady Anne. Um, Circumstances meant that she'd inherited her estate. She'd still got life in her, and she was able to focus on the things that really mattered to her, which was here. She'd left London, all that was past, and she was able to really focus on her estates. That's right, yes. She was almost 60 when she finally left London and came up north. And she spent the last 26 years of her life, she lived till she was 86, incredible in that period. And she travelled between all her castles supervising the restoration because they'd got destroyed, or partially destroyed at least, because of the Civil War and Cromwell's men and then the border raids, the pesky Scots coming over Mm. from the north. Mm -hmm. So they were all in a bit of a state and she would spend possibly six months, 12 months at a time at each of these castles supervising all this restoration work. Remind me of the actual castles. That's down in Skipton. Skipton, Barden Tower. And the next one... And the next one is Pendragon. Pendragon. Yes, yes. So that's quite a gap between. A long gap. So this highway falls into that story of that's travel. Right. So Pendragon, then she's got Bruff. Bruff. Yes. Appleby. Appleby. And Broome, which is the one where she died, just south of Penrith. Fabulous. OK, so how did she travel? That's an interesting point. She had a great entourage when she travelled between her castles because they had to take a lot of things with them in those days and remember that the castle, when she got to it, would be in ruin. And so we have records, because she kept diaries, which is wonderful, we have all this detail about the fact that there were 300 people on one occasion travelling with her between all the castles. The men, most of them would be on horseback, some walking. Some of the ladies would be in a coach, but Lady Anne herself preferred to be in a horse litter, which must have been very, very uncomfortable. It was a carriage with no wheels slung between two horses, so you've got a horse in shafts at the front and one at the back. And, that, and can you imagine coming up Cotter End and travelling along here in a yeah. horse litter? That would, there'd be a lot of joggling. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you'd be seasick, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. but we do have a quote, actually, because of her, her diaries. And she does say, From thence I went over Cotter, where I think never coach went before, and over Helgill Bridge into Westmoreland, and so by the chapel of Malastang, I lately repaired, I went into this Pendragon Castle to lie in it again. So it gives you the whole route there that, that we're going to follow, which Absolutely. is brilliant. So she'd get to Pendragon, with the, she was there for a couple of days or several days? Sometimes 12 months she would oh, stay in one castle. Right, so therefore she had the furnishings to... Absolutely, this is why she needed so many people, of course. They took the bedding, carpets, curtains, a state bed, plate, cutlery, and on one occasion, I gather, a window was mentioned. And then, the, well, before they actually got to the castle, sometimes on a very long stretch, they would have to stay en route, as it were, and so they would stay in various houses along the way. Wherever Lady Anne stayed, of course, they had to treat her like royalty, and she would give them a gift as a thank you to your host, and the gift was a great lock, they were called, a great iron lock, and they were made for her by George Dent of Appleby, and they cost one pound, which was a lot of money in those days. Did they have an inscription on them? No, they did, but most of them had, it was a square block where the key went into, and that had a P on it, which was Anne of Pembroke, which is her last title from her last husband. 
And there are some of them, you can still see some of them today, and one of them in particular is at Dale Main near Oldswater. You can still see right. it now. Right. Well, it's about time we moved on uh, along the highway a little bit further in the company of that caravan and that horse litter. My, I can feel the juggling now. <laughs> There's a special point here then, Sheila. We're crossing yes. Hellgill Bridge. Uh, somebody's put some stones here. You can stand overlooking the parapet to the east into the ravine. Very narrow cleft. And this is the head stream of the River Eden. It's Hellgill. And one hell of a gill it is too. <laughs> and there's uh, ash trees and so forth embowering it. The track is confined here to a gate. We're transferring our duty from Yorkshire into Cumbria or Westmoreland as it was when Lady Anne came this That's way. Right. And there's a plaque, or there was a plaque, on uh, a post just be through the gate, a Pip Hall plaque, a beautiful one. I saw it last year. Highwayman. Do you know who that highwayman was? Well, there does seem to be quite a bit of debate about that highwayman, actually. I was under the impression that it was Swift Nix Nevison, which is quite a mouthful, really. Swift Nix ne Nevis Nevison. Nevison, but I've been told locally that, no, it wasn't. It was a different highwayman, one called Ned Ward, so I'll leave it to you. Yeah. But the, the, the legend is that he leapt over this 30-foot ravine here at Hellgill when he was trying to escape capture, so I can only assume he was a bit higher up than this, yes. because this bridge was definitely, or there was a bridge here during Lady Anne's day, because she paid for the repair of it, so oh. must have been a little bit higher up that he did yes. that. So the conjecture must be that uh, by leaping over, pursuing law enforcement were out of their jurisdiction. Yes. So they had yes. to let him go, whoever yes. he was, whatever his name was. <laughs> whatever his name was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would have applied to several, I'm sure. Uh, anyway, now you're a great walker, Sheila, or have over the years have got a tremendous tradition of in your you and your husband particularly, and uh, you've done a lot of the major trails. Yes, yes, we have indeed. Yes, thoroughly enjoyed them all. The most important one for us, I think, in a sense of achievement, was when we did the uh, Lands End to John O'Groats. Um, we took three months over the trail, and that was really quite an epic. Absolutely, as you can imagine. <laughs> yes, absolutely, because because it's not a waymarked trail. No, no. You you have to improvise. You do indeed. Yes. I always find that at the end of a long distance trail, you always feel quite sad that it's over. In another way, you know, you're happy to get back to a few more luxuries and a proper bed because we've been camping on a lot of this route. So, God. you mean that you camp most of that journey? About three quarters of it we camped. Yes. That is yes. staggering. <laughs> so, oh, that amazing journey uh, all those three months were there any really special moments lots and lots of them but um i think the southwest coastal path where we started off of course was stunning scenery very a lot of hard work actually because you're constantly going dropping right down to sea level and going around a, a, a ravine and then coming back up the other side again so quite more strenuous perhaps than many people think it is then, of course, um, we actually walked along the highway here when we did the Yorkshire stretch. We did the alternative Pennine Way, which comes through here. So I'm reliving it again today with this nice. walk. Yeah. But I think the highlight probably for me, yes, is the West Highland Way from Mugai, just north of Glasgow, up to... Um, 
Fort William. Fort William, thank yes. you, Mark. Yes, Bert the old memories going. And, no, no, but, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely fabulous. Um, there's some boggy bits, I think. <laughs> Cross Rannock Moor. Oh, uh, yes, <laughs> And then you, did you go up the Caithness coast? We went up the centre, really, from Fort William. We went diagonally north-east. Mm. I didn't want to walk up the A9. And so most of the journey, we, we went inland right. and just found our own route. You have that sense of uh, being great memories, but there are obviously, on a trip like that, there will be some down moments. Yes, my husband had blisters early on because a lot of the paths were difficult to find in the southwest, and we'd, so we did a lot of road walking, so that was his problem. With me, it was more uh, mentally, I think, about the Midlands, and I looked at how many hundreds more miles were to do, and mentally I kind of nearly lost it there. But by the time I got to Scottish border, I knew we were going to finish, you know? <laughs> Isn't that um, remarkable? You're, you're almost halfway. <laughs> what surprised me, actually, was when you got to the Scottish border, there's another 500 miles to go because you don't realise how big is Scotland. It's an enormous country, isn't it? Bra yeah. Bravo to Scotland, yes. I say. And the midges. Oh. And they oh. have their own breed. <laughs> they do, they're definitely yes. different. Yeah. Anyway, so it, it, it had its ups and its downs, but yes. it's a, a lifetime memory. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's lovely to see in the air there's swallows swooping around. Having made our step into Westmoreland, alias Cumbria, and sadly we got a bit of dampness in the air, I think we'd better backtrack, head back to yes. Lunds, I think. That'll be rather interesting. Yes. We're on the way towards Lunds, having branched off the track to Shore Paddocks, and we come across some rushes, lots of rushes through the fields, and we found a field barn. Irresistible, I can't resist old field barns. How about you, Sheila? Yes, absolutely. Just like my head just touches the roof of this one. <laughs> she's, she's a tall lass. Yeah, that's yeah. And uh, we're standing in the byre, a wooden byre, stone flags at the back. There's enough room here for four cows to be chained in place and uh, the wooden floor above where the hay would have been kept and the floor, well, when we arrived there were a flock of sheep in here and they bolted out of here. They've been here for quite a while and I don't think anybody's cleaned this out for a while. It's very aromatherapeutic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Pungent. Pungent. Shippen, which is originally these were called, this is sort of area, but originally the name Shippen, as the name implied, was for sheep. sheep. Yes, yes. <laughs> but of course it became uh, for cattle. Yeah. And <laughs> the, we call them in our area, we call these boskins, and uh, the, the base for each of the cows. And ours would be uh, lined round the sides, apart from the wooden uprights, with, with slates, because we're in a Helwith bridge where they quarried a lot of slate, so ours would be made of slate. Those are stone, I think, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, these are flags, as they call them flags, here. Yes. Local flags. Mm. The kind of things they've been using on all the roofs here, you've noticed. Yes, that's right. They're very substantial. You need good timbers, I would imagine. Mm. And look at this upright. It's been chiselled nicely. It was beautifully built originally, and it's completely forgotten, as it were, by time. But it's wonderful to come in and get a sense of it. I think we'll head for Lunds. Yes, and get some fresh air. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I 
wonderful to be inside Lund's Church. I haven't been here for a very long time. It's a solitary building in a tiny hamlet. The word Lund's means consecrated land. And it's the closest consecrated land to Cotterdale, where my grandmother was born. And no doubt many of her ancestors, and therefore my ancestors, were buried here. And there are some gravestones here. So it's a very poignant place for me, but it's an amazing little quiet spot. There's a pew, placard on the wall, come to me and I will give you rest. <laughs> it's raining outside, so we, we appreciate the pew. But it's a, a marvellous spot uh, in a gorgeous valley. Quiet, almost nobody ever comes here, but it's a great place to come today. Lady Anne had a legacy, which is rather intriguing. Uh, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about this, uh, Sheila. I know she was buried in Appleby Church. That's right, yes. Yes, she spent uh, um, a lot of uh, time, apart from restoring her castles, restoring the local chapels, um, not necessarily this particular one, but many others. A little bit further up near Pendragon Castle, Malastang, the chapel there, she helped to restore that. Oh, Outkill. Outkill, that's right, that's the one. Um, mm. Skipton Castle, she restored the windows there. And if you have a look at some of the windows in there, there's little diamonds with AP, Anna Pembroke, still there to this day. And the church of St Lawrence in Appleby, of course, where she's buried almost beside her mother. Interesting point, actually, about that. Um, her mother has this wonderful marble effigy. And Lady Anne's is very austere, very black, with just these armorial shields. And she's actually buried beneath in the crypt in a lead tomb, a lead coffin. And in the very bad floods, Storm Desmond, wasn't it, in 2015? Yes. The church was, was flooded and the engineers went down below to have a look, opened it up. It hadn't been opened up for all those years. Wow. And there was the coffin, covered in silt. Uh, and they, they cleaned it all up and, and then put pumps in again and then it was all locked up again. There was one picture in the local paper and that's it, nobody's been on that. Nobody was allowed in apart from the engineers. I'd love to have gone in. Really, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Skipton actually, Skipton Castle is probably one of the most complete and well-preserved medieval castles. All her others, of course, are in ruins, but that one is, uh, is a really good monument to her, I think. Well, that's worth going to see because she was... Yeah. She was into architecture, clearly. And yes. Fabric yes. of buildings meant something to mm. her. And they were going to Nine Kirks. That's an interesting church, isn't it? That is absolutely wonderful, isn't it? Just off the A66 again, yes, with the old box pews are still there. Yeah. It's about a mile's walk, I think, off the road, something it's like that. But well walk. worth a visit. On a yes, if you go to Lama Cava Cafe, <laughs> if it's open, uh, certainly see the, uh, the, the pillar. I love Lama's. <laughs> and then go down to the meadow uh, yes. by the Emont. It looks like there might have been a settlement there once, but certainly the church is a little Yes, island. there was, there was, because what happened is, this was prior to Lady Anne, of course, in those days they did a lot of hunting, shooting, etc., didn't they? The Lords of the Manor. And Nine Kirks, there was a village there, and it was in the way of the shooting, and the, and the hunting rather. And so the Cliffords of that time, I forget which generation it was now, got moved the whole village to Broome, just outside, just beyond Broome Castle itself. They moved it, the whole village there, but they couldn't move the church because it's consecrated. So that's the one little piece that's left. That's it. That's yeah. a gem, absolute mm. gem. When you think about the magic of Nine Kirks, and all the other buildings that she was involved with, you know, the almshouses in Appleby and so on, what did her successes achieve? That's a moot point, actually, but certainly as far as her grandson, uh, he was at uh, Tufton, Lord Tufton. 
He inherited a lot of the uh, Westmoreland properties. I think it was her daughter who inherited the Yorkshire properties. And sadly, Pendragon Castle is a, is a case in point. He just let it collapse and robbed it of its stone to help repair Appleby Castle, right. which is rather sad because she spent all those years on you know, this wonderful project of restoring them to the former glory, and then within not many years, it, they were just allowed to fall into disrepair. Very sad. You have different emphasis. Everybody has their own dreams. Yes, yes. Uh, Pendragon has the majestic name and a lovely setting. Yes. There was all that, all that story that the river flowed into the moat, but if you go there, you'll find that the moat is too high up to... <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and whether Uther Pendragon Dragon was ever near it. Yes. Another moot <laughs> point. Yes. But anyway, we've come to that critical moment in our journey when I ask uh, several quickfire questions. So, with social distancing and limiting of travel here to stay for quite some while, uh, we have been released a little bit of relaxation. So, where was your first expedition? Well, in actual fact, we went initially to a cottage, large cottage nursery, as it's called, which is just south of Penrith, which is one of our favourite places to go. As far as I'm concerned, the best nursery in the country, really, because I'm a keen gardener. And on the way back, of course, no cafes open. We've got a packed lunch and everything with us. So we then called in, we go past Shap, so we called it Shap Abbey. And we had a picnic there, and we had a lovely walk in the, uh, in the moorlands around Shap. So that was our first expedition out. Freedom. <laughs> yes. Uh, what was your first Lakeland memory? I think, um, I remember Frank and I going to Keswick, and we just started um, backpacking. We hadn't actually done anything. We got brand new rucksacks and a tent and everything. Thought, right, we'll just try it out. So we camped in Keswick. And then the next day, we backpacked over to Buttermere and then back again by a different route. So it was just a little bit of a trainer, really. Yes. And so that was my first impression of the right. could You couldn't better that journey, absolutely. Have you got a favourite fell? Favourite fell? Well, possibly the Langdale Pikes, that count as a fell. Oh, it's it a peak, yes. Oh, it's, a, yes. it's a, a, an amalgamation. Yeah, I mean, that's a lovely walk up from uh, Dungeon Gill Hotel, up beside the Beck to the town, yes. and then up onto Harrison Stickle. That's it, you've yes, got it? that's wonderful. Have, have you got a favourite lake? A favourite lake? Ull's Water, yes. Beautiful. I mean, there are so many, but it is a lovely one. I can remember on the coast to coast, you, you drop down towards Glen Ridding and you can see the lake below you. And then we walk round the edge of the lake and there was a campsite on the far bank and we camped there overnight, that was a dilly. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, if you were to choose between Wainwright and Wordsworth, is there a sort of bias? Yes, Wainwright. It's got to be Wainwright, hasn't it? <laughs> yes. I mean, he was, he was such a talented man, um, brilliant draftsman like yourself. He did wonderful um, illustrations in his books. And, and you think about it, he didn't have a car in those days, did he? He did all those journeys by public transport, backwards and forwards, wrecking the different routes. That was amazing. And a lot of humour in his books as well, aren't there? Nice little sketches and things. Have you a, a favourite Cumbrian hero or heroine, dead or alive? There's a, oh, there's no. a I wonder who you'll choose there. It's got to be Lady Anne, hasn't it? I can't say anything else. <laughs> what a gift. Absolutely. Because she was a woman at that period in a man's world. That's what I like about her. And she was so strong and she fought everybody. You know, she, she fought her husband for inheritance, she fought the king. That's what I admire so much about her, her tenacity. Yeah. We need a few more Lady Anne's now. Yes. 
Have you a favourite town or community or village in Cumbria? Possibly Keswick. I have a leaning towards Keswick, I think. Yes, it's rather nice. What I love about Keswick, what we both do, is the fact that it is pedestrianised. And how I wish we could do that where I live in, you know, in Settle. But so many people say, oh, it'll spoil it. But it's wonderful. It works in Keswick. There's a little road that you can drive around, isn't there? But it's bliss to walk down by the Moot Hall there. Uh, have you a favourite pub? I'm going back to Keswick again, actually. Oh, well, that's my first memory of the dog and gun at Keswick. Um, we'd been walking on the fells during the day. We went in there. Wonderful beer, wonderful food. I think there were some folk singers on as well, which was even better, you know. And it's just such an atmospheric pub. And the other one, I think, and there are a lot in the Lake District, aren't there? But the other one, again, is, is the one at Waswaterhead at the inn there. That is full of atmosphere, full of walkers and climbers, you know. Who else goes there, really? Britain's Bar. Yes. Uh, what would be your perfect Lakeland day? I think from Grasmere up to the walk up to Easdale Tarn. Absolutely beautiful up there. And I remember once going up there last year, we got to the tarn, walked to the far side, and we had a picnic and a flask with us. And we just sat there. And a group of teachers with young children came up the other side of the lake. And they weren't noisy or anything, you know, and they all got in a little group. They had the picnic. And then they went very, very quiet, and they all started singing. I couldn't tell you what the song was, but it was a beautiful, lilting melody. And of course, it echoes round you know, the tarn there, you've got all the fells, haven't you? It was absolutely a memorable occasion, that. In Victorian times, you'd have a refreshment hut up there, Did I gather. Mm, you can understand why. Right. Um, if you were the Prime Minister for a day, and you wanted to do something to safeguard the landscapes of Cumbria, or the Pennines here, for example, the Yorkshire Dales, but certainly in context with your experience, what, what would you try, what would you like to achieve? I think something that's very important is, is to educate the, the, the public that go out into the landscape and make it so that it is workable for everybody to enjoy but without destroying what they go there for, really. You know? Very sound thinking. Mm. So it's been absolutely fabulous spending time with you. Lady Anne's way is a route I must do. I think David was talking about he, he was going to have a uh, stretch his legs on, along it sometime soon. Uh, and I hope it thrives and it gets onto more than its survey maps and um, inspires people to love this area all the more. And then look at the legacy of that wonderful woman. Thank you, Mark. Journey's end back at the Moorcock Inn and after chasing the weather hoping that we wouldn't get poured upon we're back into blazing sunshine which is great um, and it was uh, it was a lovely walk great as ever Mark. Oh yes most enjoyable that highway is a special treat especially when you know how old it is but uh, great company and in fact more than great company because we had young Max with us today Young Max, this is, so this is my partner's little boy who's uh, doing some work experience instead of doing his homeschooling. <laughs> <laughs> He's been holding the microphone a little bit and generally good company. Well, it's good to see you, Max. You've, uh, you've enjoyed it, I think. Yes, I very much enjoyed it, thank you. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, who is Lady Anne Clifford? You've got a clue. Um, yes, I, um, Lady Anne Clifford was um, a wonderful woman who went... Um, around and fought this massive battle against the king and um, everyone else. <laughs> <laughs>
I think he's on another narrative, but he's certainly on the right wavelength. Yeah, well, yeah. A legal battle. Yeah, yeah, a legal battle, and uh, and she was in courts. Um, just by outliving everyone, she managed to claim her own property. Bang on. And then she went around for her last um, 20 to 26 years restoring Pendragon Castle and many other castles too. There's a man who paid attention. I, I didn't know any of that. <laughs> no, you've been really good company. Yeah, he, he hasn't lagged at all. Uh, we went through rushes and nettles and thistles and oh, we've been through it all. And you saw some unusual sheep, I think. They're called wart balls. Um, they're very rare sheep. Of, um, they're brown and they've got um, a black face with a white stripe coming down from them. Fascinating. I saw them and I, I was completely bemused. And then I, I asked Sheila if she knew and she, oh, she didn't really know. And I asked Dave and he, he didn't know. So I thought, well, I'd better ask the person who does know. And yes, indeed, Max <laughs> did know. It was lovely to see the sheep. And for me, Mark, obviously great to be out again and great to be back in Yorkshire, actually. Um, I haven't obviously been here since lockdown began, so lovely to cross out of the county. For me, I love the bird song around here. These big landscapes may be fairly bleak, but they're full of bird song. And the curlew and the lapwing and oyster catchers we saw, we saw two herons at one point, swifts, swallows, it is alive and what wonderful company they are. You use the word bleak, but you can get the same bleakness in the heart of the Lake District, mm. but here you've got life. It is vibrant. It, is. it hasn't been spoilt by agriculture, it hasn't been spoilt by anything really. No. So it's, it's a place that connoisseurs can come to at any time, who people love countryside and get real pleasure from. You're right, and I have to say, having come from Central Lakes, where the traffic has been really quite heavy for the last few weeks, we've passed nobody. Mm. It's, it's been wonderful. Now, a bit of housekeeping, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and a special recommendation this week, I've posted a picture of Mark from, I think it's the 1970s, with a very big haircut. Yes. It's well, well worth visiting Twitter for. <laughs> <laughs> that was my Leo Sayers phase, or was it my Art Garfunkel phase? But very good. Yes. We won't ask you to sing, though. No, no, I, I can hum, but there again. <laughs> uh, but yes, if you want to see a, a photo of a strapping young Mark Richards with a, a fine head of hair, then uh, our Twitter account is well worth a visit. Uh, and Facebook and the account, Mark... Oh, it's Country Stride 1. Country Stride 1. Uh, we have some wonderful episodes coming up. Just very quickly, give us a hint, Mark, of uh, getting back into the landscape again. Oh, yes. Well, we're going into the Dark Ages. Lady Anne's Way finishes at Broome, but our next episode starts at Broome Ooh. and goes to Lowther, which is pure by coincidence. We're with uh, Bruce Benison, and we're going via Maybrough, so that should be fascinating. And he'll talk about King Athelstan and so forth. And the following one, we're going out with Dr. Julia Aglinby and Kaz Graham. And we're looking at moorlands and uplands and the futures of upland farming. So that should right. be fascinating. And yes. we have others in line, but those two, I think, are really worth it. And I think we'll be following on with Canon Hardwick Rawnsley. Yes, of course. Yes, in this anniversary year. Well... Wonderful to be back again, out in the outdoors rather than in front of a laptop screen. And from this lovely pocket of the Pennines, the Moorcock Inn, just a couple of weeks away from reopening, we bid you goodbye and we'll, we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>
All the best and thank you, Max. Thank you too. Bye.